One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later. Hi there, Mike here, voice of Tim Stoker from the Magnus Archives, and I'm here to tell you about The Decca Tapes, a multi-award-winning audio drama that has now joined us on our podcast network. Ten people are locked together in a confined space. Where exactly is unknown. If they're ever able to get out, also unknown. But one thing's for sure. The answer to this and more must be on one of these mysterious tapes. The Decca Tapes is an eight-part mystery story in which we get to know a group of ten people forced to live together in a confined space. 
Each member has been assigned a specific role to play. Everyone accepts their role without question and tries to make the most of the situation. But one refuses to work. They want to know where they are and why they aren't allowed to leave. Find out the truth about the Decca Tapes for yourself by tuning in on one of your favourite podcast channels. Visit www.thedeccatapes.com or www.rustyquill.com for more information. Hi everyone, this is Lori, producer of the Magnus Archives, and I'd like to welcome you to Rusty Fears 4, our fourth writing competition. We have chosen four stories written by our listeners to be recorded, directed and edited by our production team, and we'll be releasing them over the next few weeks. As before, please remember these are standalone stories and not to be considered part of the Magnus Archives canon. Enjoy! Rusty Quill presents Nazar by Anushka Merotra, read by Karine Cronfley. Sachin had always been superstitious. I wasn't particularly observant back then, but I'd noticed it from the very first day that we started rooming together. I had come in from lunch and, as was my routine, did a careless kick and flung my slippers across the room. He'd been sitting on his bed, folding his clothes, and watched as my slippers landed upside down on the pale wooden floor. Then he turned that loaded gaze of his to me. You should turn those around. I hadn't known what he'd meant, and simply stared back at him. We'd barely spoken past introducing ourselves to one another, and, to be honest, I hadn't expected to have much of a relationship with him. His Mickey Mouse comforter had formed an instant and unflattering impression of him in my mind. Your slippers, he clarified. You shouldn't leave them upside down, it's bad luck. The statement seemed utterly ridiculous to me, but he'd worn such a piercing, unsettling expression as he spoke that I wordlessly turned them over without thinking. This satisfied him, and he returned to folding his socks. I stared down at my slippers and wondered how them being upside down could possibly bring me bad luck. I learned soon after that Sachin's rules and beliefs about luck were intricate and steadfast. Don't step over someone's outstretched legs or they'll stop growing. If you step over them, you must do it again the other direction to remove the curse. Don't wash your hair or clothes on a Thursday. Any other day of the week is fine. If your right eye twitches, that means good luck is coming your way. But if your left eye does, it means something terrible is going to happen. <sighs> For the most part, I ignored him. My initial belief that we wouldn't get along was right. We had nothing in common. Sachin was, to put it kindly, a bit of a fuddy-duddy. He spent all his time studying, took everything far too literally, and was aghast at the idea of bending the rules even slightly. And then there were his truly bizarre beliefs. It bothered me somewhat that I'd been assigned to be his roommate. But I'd been a boarder for years before Sachin joined the school and already had a group of friends who I spent most of my time with. So it was only during the compulsory one-hour study time that I had to spend any time alone with him. It was the conversations we had during this one hour, actually, that started this whole thing. I'm ashamed to say I spent many evenings with my friends telling them about Sachin's strange compulsions and going through his dreadful selfies on Facebook. 
I acknowledge now that it was all my stories mocking his eccentricities that even put him on my friend's radars to begin with. You have to understand, as much as I loved my friends, there were things that set us apart. We were fifteen-year-old boys in the prime years of our buffoonery. These were the years to be obsessed with girls and satisfying our libido, and yet I had no interest whatsoever in any of it. Not in girls, not in boys, not in anyone. Bawdy conversations bored me. I treated watching porn as a chore instead of a guilty pleasure. I just... wasn't interested. I still have no interest, but I'm no longer bothered by it. In fact, I'm proud of the way I am. But back then, being different felt like the most awful, glaring thing in the world. I knew that anything that would take their attention off my oddities and onto Sachin's would only work out in my favour. So, I encouraged it. I would invite Sachin to sit with us at dinner just so my friends and I could exchange meaningful glances and choke back our laughter when he would say something weird. And then, when he left, we would shout with laughter and spill salt and dramatically bemoan the fact that the demons were coming to doom us. We were just stupid 15-year-olds. That's what you have to understand. We were just dumb, stupid teenagers. It was our man who came up with the idea. We'd all seen it, of course. The string of green chilies and a perfectly round yellow lemon that Sachin had hung over the door to our room. It wasn't unusual to see such a thing outside shops and hanging from the front of rickshaws, but this was the first time any of us had seen it hanging over the doorway of a dorm room. It amused us all to no end, but our man was obsessed with it. How exactly is some ten rupee chili on a string going to help him? Armand had asked once. I shrugged. When I asked him, he told me that the goddess of misfortune likes sour and spicy food, so by hanging the lemons and chilies, she will stop to eat her favourite food and be so satisfied that she won't enter our room. Their laughter was like a clap of thunder, and it filled me with a warm sense of belonging. I wonder what would happen if we steal it. Aman mused. He'll probably freak out, I said. Aman didn't reply, but he was grinning, his teeth white in the growing darkness of Rahul's room. It seemed then to my fifteen-year-old eyes that he looked almost inhuman. My spine prickled. Whatever protestations I had, were drowned out by the growing acquiescence of the other boys, and I realised with a thick dread that I was outnumbered. But it didn't matter, I reasoned. Lemon and chilies were not hard to replace. The next morning, our doorway was bare. Sachin didn't notice right away. The routine of boarding school life was so established that I'm sure he just assumed nothing was amiss. I was on edge, though. I hadn't taken his lemon and chilies, and yet, as his roommate, I felt responsible for his loss. I couldn't shake the memory of the cruel spark in Armand's eyes, the way his smile seemed almost too wide. When Sachin came back from school that evening, he looked wrung out and hollow. I tried to ask him if he'd had a bad day, but he darted past me towards the door of our room. I reached the doorway just in time to witness the moment he realised it was gone. He turned to me, 
his eyes wild. Where is it? I'd never heard such vehemence in his voice before. Where's what? He gestured towards the empty, rusting nail above our door. I focused my eyes instead on the flaking paint around it. I've no idea, I said. It was at least the truth. I didn't know where Arman had hidden it. Sachin began searching, frantically, on his hands and knees, peering around the doorway and then in every nook and cranny of our room. When he couldn't find it, he began pacing, a tiger locked in a cage much too small, and began raking his fingers through his hair so aggressively I thought he was going to tear some of it out. For a moment, I considered coming clean, telling him about Arman. But I didn't want to be a snitch. If I was the one who revealed the collective secret, I would be excluded from the fun forever. I would be no better than a Sachin. So I swallowed and said nothing. That night, I awoke to the sound of something scraping against my headboard. I sat up with a jolt and turned around, but darkness obscured my vision, choking out any vestige of light in the room. Our dorm parent always took our phones before we slept, so I felt around for the torch I kept on my side table. As my fingers closed around the cheap plastic, I heard it again. The beam of the torch was weak, watered down light that barely illuminated even what it was directly pointed at. I held it up, feeling my breath lodge painfully in my chest. I'd never been scared of the dark, but there was something about this darkness. It felt thicker, heavier, like shadows had come home to my tiny dorm room to roost for the night. My body felt so cold. There were deep scratches in my headboard that left curling slivers of wood in their wake, fingernail scratches. I almost fell out of bed in my haste. I grabbed Sachin's comforter, shaking it, but it was empty. Fear was choking me, hot and acidic like bile in my throat. I stumbled across to the wall and stabbed at the switches until light flooded the room. Nothing. There was nothing there. My breathing slowed as I walked over to the headboard of my bed and ran my fingers over the smooth wood. The door opened with a creak, and I spun around so fast I dropped my torch. Are you okay? Sachin asked. The dark circles beneath his eyes seemed deeper than usual. I made a non-committal humming noise. Where were you? Bathroom. I left my desk light on for the rest of the night. I didn't tell the other boys what had happened. They would tease me mercilessly if they knew how I'd frightened myself. I almost half convinced myself it was a nightmare, but that empty, rusted nail in my doorway was in my peripheral vision, and I couldn't stop the seeds of doubt from growing in my mind, taking root. I had done something terrible. I had invited something or someone into my home, and now she wouldn't leave. Sachin stole lemon and chilies from the dining hall and put them up over our doorway. He sprinkled mustard seeds on the floor and put bowls of salt in each corner of our room. He didn't seem to make much of a difference. He was growing more peculiar with every passing day. He ambled about, hunched over like he was carrying an invisible backpack full of bricks. He was never a chatty person, but now he was positively laconic. 
I spent even less time in our room than I had before. The air felt heavier there, musty, almost like dust had accumulated between the books on our shelves and in the crevices between the furniture. Once, when I was hunting under my desk for my fallen torch, my fingers closed around something hard. I thought at first it was one of the mustard seeds, but when I pulled it out, I saw that it was a tooth. Yellow, large, and hard. Like the tooth of a cow. I threw it into the lake outside our campus. Small things began happening. My locker was broken into. The fudge my mother sent for me was stolen. I failed a maths test. I no longer slept. The smallest of sounds woke me. One night, I found a long grey hair on my pillow. On another night, I found a smudge of bright lipstick on one of my shirts. Once, I woke up to a raspy sound, like a, like an animal trying to bray with sand in their mouth. When I called out to Saturn in the thick, inky blackness, he didn't reply. By our junior year, Sachin had stopped talking altogether. When I asked him a question, he looked at me uncomprehendingly. Sometimes his fingers twitched as if being controlled by a lazy puppet master, idly tugging on the strings. The worst was the day I came into the room to find him naked, staring up at the ceiling, unmoving. His legs seemed to be coated with thick grey hairs that almost looked like fur. I slammed the door shut so fast, my fingers got caught, and pain made me fall to my knees. Eventually, I began ensuring that my slippers were never overturned, that I never spilled salt on the table. When someone accidentally bumped heads with me, I made sure they did it again. I never let anyone sit on my pillows or walk over my legs. My friends made fun of me at first. But I was stubborn in my new beliefs, and eventually they took to excluding me from get-togethers. Sachin and I remained roommates the following year, and then the year after that. In twelfth grade we were allowed to pick our roommates, but by then I had no other friends left. Even on my vacations home I heard the noises. My parents were concerned, but what could they do about an unwelcome guest who wouldn't leave? By our senior year, the thick grey hair I'd seen on Sachin's legs had spread, coating his chest and his chin. No one ever commented on it, or the fact that he'd become so skinny you could see the outline of his ribs beneath his skin. His cheeks had grown sunken, and his dark eyes seemed to swivel aimlessly around in their sockets. On the night I said goodbye to him, with my suitcases packed and our room devastatingly empty, I finally asked him the question I knew he would not answer. Was there anything we could have done? He didn't reply. I stopped by my locker on my way to the bus stop to get my remaining notebooks. As I sifted through the pencil shavings and scraps of paper that were left, I spotted it. The lemon had shriveled up and the chilies were dry as sin, nothing more than flaky, rotten husks. It was the lemon and chilies that Arman had stolen so many years ago. I picked it up, my heart pounding and held it to my chest. Then slowly, methodically, I began pulling out pieces of the dried lemon, 
putting its sour, scratchy skin on my tongue. I chewed it for hours, standing there by the bank of lockers, grinding the rubbery, gritty skin down to dust between my teeth. The chilies, luckily, crumbled easily, but I felt their sharp sting on the tender flesh of my throat as I swallowed. Aman had gone without saying goodbye, and over the years, whenever I tried to call him or message him, he never replied. It was almost like he'd never existed. But it didn't matter, because the day I left the school, it all stopped. The darkness, the scratches on the ceiling, the noises in the night and the cracked teeth on my floor. I made a whole new group of friends, ones who were less cruel. And I brought my grades back up to A's. But some nights, I still smell it. The fresh tang of lemon and the chalky darkness that once weighted the very air around me like a sickness. Those nights, I open my eyes and check for the mustard seeds, and make sure my slippers are straight. And then, I'm comforted. I am safe. This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information, visit RustyQuill.com. Tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone spelled woe period begone wherever you listen to podcasts or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts have fun and see you later